And so the text that has a hold of me like a treble hook in the fish's mouth is Proverbs 17, verse 26. You will see it there inside your bulletin, right under the announcements. And the text is this. To impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. This is the word of God, and I trust we will be instructed from it this morning. This verse, Proverbs 17, verse 26, provides us with a foundation to understand tyranny. We heard tyranny mentioned this morning in Pastor Phil's prayer. It was referenced in Psalm 72 when the psalmist cried out that God would stop the oppressor, would break the teeth of the oppressor. You see, friends, in America, we have the historical background to understand tyranny. We probably talk about it every 4th of July. But I suspect that many, if not most, would be hard-pressed to define tyranny. And if we cannot define it, I wonder if we can recognize it truly when we see it. Now, tyranny, and there's another word I want to share with you today, tyranny and statism are two words that Americans desperately need to understand. The two words are intricately related, and a failure to understand and oppose the concept behind these words from a Christian worldview is at the heart of many problems in our nation. So let's start with tyranny, a good biblical passage from which to build a foundational understanding of tyranny is Proverbs 17, verse 26. To impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. Here we see in the book of Proverbs that the word of God condemns the punishment of the righteous. The King James renders it, to punish the just is not good. Now Noah Webster, uh, many of you homeschoolers out there are familiar with his work. His original dictionary, the 1828 dictionary, he defined tyranny as follows. The arbitrary or despotic exercise of power, the exercise of power over subjects and others with a rigor not authorized by law or justice. In other words, tyranny is the unlawful exercise of power. Now back to Proverbs 17:26 and the imposition of fines. Well, note that text says that to impose a fine on a righteous man is not good. Now, if we know our Bible, we know that it is not wrong to impose a fine on someone who has done wrong to their neighbor or violated God's law in the civil realm. For example, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 4, speaking of the thief, the word of God says, If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, that is the thief's possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. You see, a, phone, a fine imposed on the thief is not wrong. It is just. However, it is wrong to impose a fine on someone who has not violated the law of God. That is an unlawful use of power. Now, Romans 13, verse 4, tells us what Christ has authorized the civil magistrate to do. This is important. It is to punish evildoers. The Bible tells us that the magistrate is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, or as Peter puts it, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It is good for the wrongdoer to be punished. But it is not good 
for a fine to be imposed on the righteous, namely on a man or woman who has not violated a specific law of God that is punishable in the civil sphere. Now, I want to give you an example. This is from my life, and I'm sure many of you have examples in your own life. Several years ago when I lived in Delaware, our midwife committed a felony in helping deliver our children. The state of Delaware had created, man-made, criminalized our midwife because she had not jumped through onerous, bureaucratic, regulatory hoops. She had done no evil. On the contrary, she had served us, her proverbial neighbors, by helping deliver our children. And for that, I'm thankful. And they're here with me today. However, the state labeled her a criminal. And understand this, they would have fined her, or worse, had they caught wind of her righteous actions. They had imposed a fine on the righteous. They were in violation of God's word. Now, meanwhile, at the same time, and I know this well because I had spent many days outside Planned Parenthood, at the same time, abortionists were allowed to slaughter babies in the womb at the local Planned Parenthood. Not far from where we lived and not far from where our midwife committed a crime in delivering our children. Now, if you know the Bible, you will remember this is not the first time that midwives had to defy the orders of tyrants for their love of life. I refer you to Exodus chapter 1. So, I'll have another example in a moment, but here is a working definition of tyranny for the Christian thinker. Tyranny is the use of civil power to punish the righteous. Tyranny is the use of civil power to punish the righteous. Now, civil government, as I mentioned, was instituted by God to punish evildoers, Romans 13, verse 5. However, if the civil magistrate punishes people for, right, for actions that are not evil, such as delivering babies, serving food to their neighbors, then those magistrates are being tyrannical. They are punishing the righteous. Now, tyranny then, in this verse in Proverbs, it presupposes an ultimate standard to which men can appeal. You see, the unlawful use of power presupposes a law that sits above all of man's actions, all of man's systems, all of man's administrations. This, among many other places, is where the bankruptcy of secular, materialistic humanism reveals itself very clearly. If it is true, as the humanists posit, that there is no God and there's no divine law above us, then man truly is the measure of all things. And whatever man says is supreme. Tyranny, then, can simply be legislated into law and thus cease to be tyrannical by the very definition of the term. If man is the standard, anything goes. Unless a higher law exists above man, understand that codified tyranny is an impossibility. You could never say that law is tyrannical if man is the highest standard. For example, if the law of the land says it is acceptable to kidnap people and sell them into slavery, no one can logically oppose such a law as wrong, tyrannical, or unjust. To the humanist, it matters not that God's law forbids kidnapping a man and selling him into slavery. Exodus 21, verse 16. You see, in humanistic thought, man's law is supreme. There is no higher court. There is no other law to appeal to. 
Now, we can be thankful that in God's common grace, man is not always consistent in his humanistic thinking, and they often oppose evil edicts on principle. But that only makes sense if they appeal to a higher standard. Understand that. People that want to oppose something as evil and at the same time say there's no law above them have no ground to do so. So tyranny, then, is the use of civil power that punishes the righteous. But we must have a law above us by which we know what is righteous. Now let's unpack this a little bit more in terms of tyranny. There's a double tyranny in man-made law. First, if man makes a new law, a law not already given in the Bible, then we are faced with punishment for something God never intended us to be punished for. We understand that. If we, create, if we keep creating new laws, we will have the righteous continually being punished for things that God never said you should be punished for. A friend of mine, Luke Saint, he writes this, referring to the never-ending laws coming forth in this nation and throughout the, throughout the world. He said, The very presence of a legislative body in a nation indicates that man truly believes that the whole counsel of God misses some key judicial elements on which a group of lawmakers needs to enlighten the population. Now, again, let me apply that. I won't have time to unpack fully his argument, but here's the thing we need to understand. The law of God never calls for a woman to be punished for delivering babies. All right, going back to my example. The law of God never calls for a farmer to be fined for selling milk to his neighbor. A civil ruler who makes a law that says that is wrong and then enforces it is being tyrannical because he is using his power to impose a fine on the righteous. This is in clear contradiction to Proverbs 17, verse 26. Now, there's another way that the tyranny of man-made law is revealed, and that is, as has been alluded to, in the never-ending creation of new laws, law after law after law. You see, man-made law and, hum and the humanistic worldview make it virtually impossible to understand Proverbs 17, verse 26. You cannot comprehend this passage. You cannot understand what it means to be a righteous man if you cannot keep up with the mess and the thousands and thousands of man-made laws spewing forth from state legislatures across the nation. It's just a fact of the matter. L let me unpack this for you. One estimate, this is probably a very low one, puts the number of federal laws at 30,000. Now, good luck trying to figure out how many laws your state legislature has enacted. California has at least 390,000 regulatory restrictions. To put that in perspective, and you can check my math on this, a California resident would need to study 10 laws per day, seven days a week, for 106 years just to cover the state's current regulatory restrictions, not to mention the federal laws and any county or township regulations. And that does not account for any new laws that have been added along the way. Now, I don't doubt that um, New Jersey is far behind California, I'm sorry to say, and uh, my state, Pennsylvania, is not doing too well either. Now, despite what some have said, and I think a misinterpretation of Romans 13, you can rest assured that God will not be opening the Federal Register or the Law Book of New Jersey on the Day of Judgment. 
God will not judge people on the basis of their compliance with man-made law. God will, however, judge on the basis of his law. And contra man-made law, God's law is wonderfully simple and understandable. This is why the psalmist said, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. And the blessed man meditates on God's law day and night. Imagine the folly of the statist version of Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, of course, according to the 390,000 regulatory restrictions of California. An absurdity. You see, God's moral law is summarized in ten words, or ten commandments. It is this law that the London Baptist Confession of Faith says was first written in the heart of man. This is the law by which all men will be judged, and quite frankly, this is the law that our humanistic lawmakers hate. Now, at most, the Bible contains about 1,400 laws, at most. The Old Testament contains approximately 613 laws, and the New Testament contains about 800 laws if we account for repetitions. So, 1,400. Now, many of the Old Testament laws related to the ceremonial requirements have been fulfilled in Christ. The civil laws, however, are still of moral use, according to the Baptist Confession of Faith, a moral use, I would argue, that should also be appealed to by our legislators. But even without subtracting the ceremonial laws, even leaving the ceremonial laws, if a Christian studied 10 laws per day, he would have covered all the biblical laws in less than five months. In case you forgot, that's 105 years and seven months sooner than our California resident will be done studying the useless laws of men. It's a beautiful thing. In many ways, a man, a woman, a child must simply understand the Ten Commandments to know how to live in this world. Every other moral commandment in the Bible can be traced back to the ten words that God wrote on the heart of man at creation and carved in stone at Sinai. If you're familiar with the Westminster Larger Catechism, they do a wonderful job of explaining how every law goes back to the Ten Commandments and all the applications of the Ten Words on our lives. You see, in a well-ordered society, a man simply needs to know the Bible to know whether he is doing right. In a humanistic status society, however, man must labor. He must labor hard. It is a heavy burden to keep up with the never-ending sludge of man-made law spilling forth from the legislators. Man can never know if he is following the law or breaking the latest edition of his state's regulations. Man is ever at the mercy of the next legislative session to know what is good and what his pagan Lord requires of him. I'm so thankful that our Lord is not like that. Christ's yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And we can know right now, just as Micah could know hundreds of years ago, what is good and what does the Lord require of us, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Peter said that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So tyranny, then, is the unlawful abuse of power. The second word that I mentioned is statism. And statism is the religion undergirding that abuse. 
Another way to put it is tyranny is the fruit of the religion of statism. Now, how would I define statism more specifically? It is the belief that the state or the civil government is the highest authority in the land. Highest. There is nothing above it, not even Christ, and is therefore able to direct all areas of life with complete authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to the state. That is statism. Rushduni, a man named R.J. Rushduni, identified the problem with statism and man-made law decades ago. He said this, listen to what he said, because humanistic law is unlimited, the state is unlimited. It becomes the business of the state not to control evil, but to control men. And the American mind I, I submit this morning, and I'm a product of it just as much as anyone else, has been brainwashed in statism. Government overreach has become a staple in our society. And if you doubt this, I've probably said this myself in the past, if there's ever a problem facing the American people, you won't have to wait long to hear the following. There should be a law for that. The state will solve the problem. Understand that whenever statism becomes the religion of the people, tyranny will be prevalent. This is because in statism, the state is God. And the worship of the state is demanded by the priests of the pagan religion. Now, this is not hard for many people to understand when we look at, we mentioned Vietnam, there's other communist regimes, the state becomes God. We say, oh yeah, that, that happens. My friends, I contend it is happening in America. It just looks different than in communist nations. Any defiance of the state is unacceptable and blasphemous in the statist religion. A man driving down the road without an up-to-date registration, he has offended the statist deity and he faces punishment to be meted out by the religious enforcement agents. A midwife who helps deliver babies if she has not pinched her incense to Caesar, faces jail time for her love of life, while the abortionist is lauded as a hero. You can't tell me this is not a religion with values, with commandments, even blasphemy laws, if you defy the state. The farmer who sells milk from his dairy cow to his neighbors is a criminal, but politicians will readily grant impunity to the massive corporations. They will, in the words of Isaiah 5, 23, acquit the guilty for a bribe. You see, statism and tyranny are rampant today, but they are not new. These themes are throughout Scripture. The oppression of the poor, injustice. We do well to remember, for example, that it was not against Roman law, as I understand it, for Jesus Christ to be murdered on the cross. And yet, Peter said that Christ was crucified and killed by what? by the hands of lawless men, Acts chapter 2. They were lawless men because they defied God's law, even if they had kept man's law. The Roman rulers punished the righteous. There never has been nor ever will be one more righteous than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he was executed by the hands of lawless men. Now, nor was it against Chinese law in the 1950s for state agents to enter the homes of farmers and confiscate food supplies and cooking equipment. Now, we can only remonstrate, we can only oppose these acts as evil if we reject statism, if we reject that the state has the highest authority over all of life. But if we reject statism, 
and reject it we must. We also must reject the ultimate legitimacy of the nigh on a million humanistic laws and regulations that are plaguing our land and preventing us from prospering. But if we have to reject that system, so be it. Let God be true and every man a liar. The false religion of statism cannot invalidate the law of God. To impose a fine on a righteous man is not good. Now, the perfect application, at least in my mind, of these points is what has been consuming my thoughts for the past week and a half, and it is the current persecution of an Amish farmer in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. There's a man by the name of Amos Miller. The more I get to know him, the more I am encouraged by his faithfulness to serving his neighbor, even in the face of threats of being thrown in jail. He owns an organic farm in Burdenhand, Pennsylvania, and once again he has become the punching bag for tyrannical statists. In this case, we see tyranny, the punishment of the righteous by the state, and statism, the worship of the state. Now, just very briefly to give you a bit of background here, this man does not sell his food in grocery stores. He simply provides it to private buyers, some who drive hours and hours to purchase from him. In fact, I often see people from New Jersey driving all the way out there to get his food. As far as the law of God is concerned, Miller has done no evil as it relates to his food business. He offers a product at a listed price, he honors that contract, and he provides willing buyers with that product to feed them and their families. Far from doing evil, Amos Miller is doing good to his neighbor. Nonetheless, the state of Pennsylvania recently raided Miller's farm, seized some of his property, and detained hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of food items in his store forbidding him from selling them or even moving them. Violation of Proverbs 17.26, not to mention all of God's word, the state is punishing the righteous. What crime did Miller commit? Well, from the biblical perspective, I would argue that he refused to offer his pinch of incense to the state. He violated the first commandment of statism. He refused to ask the state for permission to obey God. He refused to ask the state for permission to obey God. Let me explain that. Alluding to Genesis 1.28, again, my friend Luke Saint says this, dominion, dominion, which includes the Great Commission, is God's purpose for us in how we interact with ourselves, each other, the earth, and God himself. God has put us on this earth to take dominion, to be fruitful, to multiply. The Great Commission to spread the gospel throughout the world is part of that dominion mandate, that the whole earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord. And so God calls all of us, you, me, Amos Miller, everyone, to take dominion. Now, how do we do it? According to God's word. This includes serving neighbor, as Amos does with his farm products, as our midwife did in helping us deliver our children. Nowhere does God authorize the state to require a license in order to obey him. Understand what the state wants to do. You need our permission to obey God. Man is called to take dominion. The state is only called to punish evil. However, in statism, the state is called on to do everything. Provide, protect, instruct, provide a sense of purpose, 
You see, there's a deep spiritual evil behind tyranny and statism. It is an evil that is revealed whenever Christ's followers are attacked in this world. As Christ said, and it was actually Pastor Phil read it this morning, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Any attack on dominion, any attack on the Great Commission is a destructive attempt to thwart the advance of Christ's kingdom in this world. The case of Amos Miller, and there are many like it, the case of our midwife is demonstrative of this. In the case of Miller, here's a man producing thousands of food products to serve willing buyers at a time, we just heard it, when people are struggling to get food. Income state agents, a group of people produce nothing and they come in to thwart the service of this man to his neighbors. The devil and those pushing statism cannot produce anything. The communist regimes, you know, some of you know about them much more than I do. They cannot produce anything. They can only destroy. They can only kill, steal, and destroy. Now, perhaps the statists are jealous of Amos Miller, a man who serves his neighbors, his employees, his community. He does so without ever asking the government for a handout or a kickback. He does it without selling his products in grocery stores and government-approved locations represents a self-disciplined, dominion-taking man, the last thing the state wants. Now, I don't think it's hard to see that what our state wants right now in this nation is unhealthy, pornography-addicted, compliant people to work until they retire and then die shortly thereafter to decrease the surplus population. That is what many in our government want. And Amos Miller and others like him represent an escape from that statist hellhole. Among many other things, the Miller story is a clear example of the righteous being punished. His story reveals the great evil of tyranny we are warned against in Proverbs 17:26. to impose a fine on a righteous man is not good. I want to briefly talk to you about the soul-destroying power of tyranny. John Owen, the great Puritan, the prince of the Puritans, he's called, wrote that in our efforts to mortify sin, all right, we have to put sin to death as Christians. John Owen said, we ought to load our consciences with the guilt of sin. I encourage you to read Owen's book, The Mortification of Sin, a phenomenal work, deals with how we put sin to death in our own lives. He does not take it easy on us over and over again. Load your mind with how evil sin is, that you would, be, that you would abhor the thought of even sinning, of even thinking about sinning against your Lord. Owen teaches us to dwell on the heinousness of whatever sin we are being tempted with. Now, as it relates to tyranny and statism, we have our work cut out for us. You see, a failure to abhor tyranny and statism leads to many evils. Why do you think the psalmist would use such strong language? Oh God, Break the teeth of the oppressors. It's a great evil. Now at the top of this list of evils is the willingness of ordinary Americans to enforce tyrannical edicts on their neighbors, to follow the orders of their superiors in punishing the righteous. If Proverbs 17 verse 26 teaches us that it is wrong to punish the righteous, and it certainly does teach that, then we can be sure that it is wrong at any level of that punishment. From the head of the Department of Agriculture 
to the state employee who raids the farm and tells this man to stop serving his neighbor. Both and everyone in between are responsible for their actions. And the, the defense known as the Nuremberg defense, I was just following orders, will not fly on Judgment Day. State police, state agents, anyone enforcing mandates against men who are not committing evil according to the word of God do well to heed the counsel of Proverbs 1, verse 10. You know what I'm sure. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Ultimately, tyrants can only destroy people's lives because of ordinary men and women willing to do their dirty work. Vladimir Lenin did not kill 3.7 million people. Ordinary people following Lenin's orders killed 3.7 million people. Herod did not kill all the male children in Bethlehem two years old and under. Ordinary people following Herod's orders killed all the male children in Bethlehem two years old and under. It's a great evil of tyranny that it brings more people in to the guilt of this sin. Another great evil of tyranny and statism is that it stunts the spiritual and, emotion, and emotional growth of individuals. Within the statist mindset, the state is our protector and provider. The state will keep us safe from all danger, and we will comply with all its requests. False religion of statism leads to fearful people who are unwilling and unable to make their own choices. Such a worldview leads people to fear a local farmer are more than happy to listen to the government. They tell them to do any number of things to their body. Now, as addressed above, the scripture teaches that the civil magistrate has no authority to protect us, but only to punish the evildoer after the evil act. However, the religion of statism has catechized generations of people to think that the state will keep us safe. Understand this, biblical justice is manifested when people thoroughly, when these magistrates thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor. That is Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 5. I encourage you to look that passage up later. Jeremiah 7, verse 5. In the Bible, justice is when justice is executed between a man and his neighbor. You have wronged someone, now justice will be done. In the case of Amos Miller, in the case of our midwife in Delaware, there was no person bringing a charge against their neighbor, saying, you have wronged me. You need to make restitution as the law of God teaches, and then we can move on from this. Both of these cases, and in millions more, the state is the one claiming to be the offended party, therefore seeking these people to put them under submission. Biblical justice is between a man and his neighbor. So that's the second great evil of tyranny, leads people to rely upon the state for all these things. Now, we could go on, but for the sake of time, let me end with the cure for tyranny and statism. Seeing that tyranny and statism are sins, the only cure is Christ. Christ came to faithfully bring forth justice, establish justice in the earth. Isaiah 42 this afternoon, we will be looking at another verse from Isaiah 42, not directly related to this, but there in the beginnings of Isaiah 42, we see that Christ will faithfully bring forth justice. Christ not only saves from eternal damnation 
which he does, praise God, but he also saves from the power of sin in this life. Christ saves a person. He calls that person out of the kingdom of sin and darkness and into the kingdom of light. He calls on them to cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. It is Isaiah chapter 1. This can only be done with the standard of the law of God. You can only do good. You can only learn to do good if you have a standard you can appeal to. I would also point out that only the Christian worldview, only the Christian worldview offers a cogent intellectual and logical defense against tyranny. I've alluded to this before. Every other system of man-made law, man-made religion cannot provide a transcendent standard above man's edicts. Cannot do it. And you see the hypocrisy of statism. It's never more clearly revealed than when people today laud the civil rights activists of the past for defying the civil government, and rightly so in some cases. At the same time, they rail against the righteous who seek to, to civilly and peacefully disobey ungodly laws. Claim that, oh, it's legally baseless for anybody to practice civil disobedience, that whatever the state says goes, and at the same time, they will praise those civil rights activists of the past who defied state law because they appealed to a higher standard. The Christian worldview gives us a cogent intellectual and logical defense against tyranny and oppression. Finally, only by understanding the concepts behind tyranny and the oppression of the righteous will we be able to understand the many biblical passages that speak to these themes. The book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he pronounces a curse upon those who call evil good and good evil, and on those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Now, those things are both in Isaiah 5. I think they go hand in hand, calling good evil and evil good and being wise in your own eyes. Isaiah's indictment, and this is why I think so, is the epitome of tyrannical civil magistrates who endorse sodomy in the streets, who endorse the slaughter of babies at abortion mills across this nation, at the same time call a midwife who delivers babies or an Amish farmer who feeds his neighbor, call that person evil. Never, never will you find a more arrogant display than when these spineless politicians tell us that we are unable to make our own food choices and need the nanny state to tell us what to eat, and at the same time, encourage us and encourage people to slaughter the preborn. Psalmist decries the tyranny of the oppressor, who in arrogance hotly pursues the poor. That's Psalm chapter 10, verse 2. I'm not making this up. This is what the Word of God says. The wicked pursue the poor. They commit injustice in arrogance because they defy their Creator. The God of peace and His anointed will soon crush Satan under our feet. God be pleased to grant the tyrants and their compliant underlings repentance. That is my prayer for them. We should desire their salvation, that they would come to see the truth and the beauty of God's word. If not, may God be pleased to break the arm of the wicked and evildoer and call his wickedness to account till he finds none. Psalm 10, verse 15. Then... The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. The man who is of the earth may strike terror no more.
Then and only then will Amos Miller, our midwife, will you and I and our children and grandchildren after us, only then will we be free to take dominion and serve our neighbors. Then the righteous will not be fined. Then the righteous will not be struck for his uprightness. Until then, as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good, even if the world is against you.